power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The Legend of Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. A mighty tech show, loved by anarchists, feared by authoritarians. As Sovereign Tech's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a union of egoists was formed. Together with the open source, retro gaming, and liberty-loving communities, they maintain peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Sovereign Tech was needed once more. This is the podcast of super host Dr. Brian Sovereign. Specially trained and sent out into the galaxy to bring back Sovereign Tech, podcast of the universe. Woo, what you've got is the best in professional podcasting today. That's right, it is the man in triple black, the golden stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, here to, uh, well, we're going to do some Sovereign Tech, baby, and we've got some news to get into, including... Really, uh, uh, some some gazes will we'll pull out the crystal ball and look into the future. In fact, we're going to discuss more of uh, Google's recent pivot. And I do think, indeed, it is that. Um, their recent pivot in business focus. We're going to get into that. Plenty of things to get into otherwise, including at the end, during the climax, we will, uh, well, I'll be delivering... My review, spoiler filled, by the way, uh, uh, review of Black Adam, the new film starring none other than Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Uh, And what did I think of that? Well, if you are a Sovereign Tech patron, you got a bit of a preview on my thoughts on that uh, on our Wednesday Q&A, which if you haven't signed up to be a patron yet, of course, go to patreon.com slash sovereign tech link is in the show notes for that. If you need it and you get to join our Patreon only discord, which is always a great time. Now, all of that preamble out of the way, let's talk about Apple. No, no. You know what? Before we talk about Apple, <laughs> let's, let's talk about, and, and folks real quick, like we really will get past uh, or not past, but we will lessen, fade a bit on the consumer tech side of things, because ultimately, at least in what comes out of Silicon Valley, uh, you know, ultimately it's kind of boring and we're basically just trying to survive the bullshit that they, they, they put on us. Um, man, the, the conversations, I, I know a lot of people, like I've gotten the emails. A lot of people want me to talk about like what's going on with Elon Musk and Twitter? Not, not even going to go there. Like, or at least not right now. Maybe we could have a bigger conversation about it at some point. But like, if, if you don't realize that social media itself is the problem, you know, I don't know what any commentary that I could say, you know, or, you know, that I could bring on about Elon Musk is, is, is going to help anything, you know? 
I mean, the, 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 the guy's a fucking idiot every day of the week and he just won't take a day off. What do you want me to do? All right. <laughs> he just won't take a break from being a fucking moron. Anyway, um, let's let, all right. Before we talk about Apple, you know, I love podcasts. I really do. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, believe it or not. Like I really don't boy. There was a time where I did, uh, there was a time where, wow. I think my, like my subscription list was like a hundred podcasts. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck I listened to all that. Uh, but you know, the, the ones I do care about like security now, you know, and, and some others, uh, you know, I'm just ravenous about. And well, anyway, what do I use? You know, I, I get asked this often. I think I even brought this up in speaking of Patreon content. I recently brought this up. Um, you know, what do I generally use? I've generally used pocket casts, frankly, for years and years and years and years. Um, I did walk away from it for a little while for a couple reasons. One of it being that, well, there was that huge version seven refresh that happened when was that? Was that like 2019 or something where they just totally fucked up the UI? I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but they walked all of that back. Uh, you know, I used antenna pod for a while, um, but they walked all of that back. Then there was the issue where they got bought out by NPR, which I was just like, you, you know, look, not, not that I, I mean, NPR actually puts out some fairly important content here and there. Okay. So it wasn't exactly, it's just, the problem was not necessarily my problem with, you know, what, you know, horseshit NPR is saying at any given moment. It was more that NPR's attitude that somehow they think they invented fucking podcasting, you know, and, and I just, I, I hate that haughtiness on their part because it's not deserved and it's not fucking true. So, you know, screw them. But anyway, pocket casts, uh, about a year ago actually ended up getting bought out by automatic automatic being the company, of course, run by Matt Muhlenweg automatic being the, shall we say the, the, the steward and parent company to WordPress, uh, amongst Tumblr, you know, and other things, you know, s simple notes, you know, and, and some other things, uh, you know, I initially applauded that and I was like, yeah, okay. That's, you know, that's cool. It's certainly much better hands than NPR. Now it's important to keep in mind that pocket casts, has been, was originally like independently developed, I think by only a couple guys, you know, and it just ended up becoming partly because Apple podcasts was such a shit show as far as UI and features and everything. Um, it ended up becoming insanely popular, uh, you know, particularly on iOS as somewhat of, I mean, there's, there's other, you know, major podcast apps on, on that are actually Apple only. Um, that are there, but pocket Cast was really like, this was the super popular one, um, on iOS because it improves so much over what Apple podcasts was not doing. Right. Uh, and it, you know, and it was on, it was on Android and it became a dominant force there because also Google did not have, you know, their own podcast app, uh, frankly, until recently, even though now it seems a lot like they're looking and they are like, they're melding that into YouTube like really like audio, basically audio only, you know, podcast content on YouTube of all things, not surprising when you have YouTube music, but 
anyway, it's, it's, it's there and they have some pretty, they, they've shared recently, they've shared some interesting numbers over just how much audio only podcast content gets listened to on YouTube. And it's substantial. So, you know, that's a direction for Google certainly to, to look at more because YouTube is what it is anyway. So pocket casts, uh, you know, again, got bought out about a year ago. Uh, and I was really just waiting because knowing automatic and Matt Muhlenweg and like, the, you know, kind of their, their whole ethos, um, which of course is, you know, they're, they're like the company creed at automatic is quote, I know that open source is the most powerful idea of our generation End quote, I was really just waiting, you know, that said, uh, I was really just waiting for them to open source this whole thing. You know, because it's not something that has to be, I mean, it never needed to be closed source anyway, but it's not something that that's just a couple of developers and they need to keep their best kept secret of this thing that was, you know, doing so well. Uh, and I mean, it really like speaks to just how full of shit, you know, like <laughs> here, here, here's the funny thing. Like, so you got people who say, oh, NPR is the, you know, it's the fucking liberal agenda, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, and it's socialists and communists and all this. Well, if there were actually socialists and communists, they would have open sourced this thing as soon as they got their hands on it. Right. Because frankly, you know, any, any communist who doesn't support open source software and open sourcing fucking everything, in my opinion is, you know, a hypocrite and a goddamn liar. So NPR, so, I mean, it calls bullshit on NPR, but Matt Mullenweg comes out and finally makes it happen. And, I'm really, really pleased about that. Uh, will pocket Cast end up on F droid at some point? I hope so. There's really no reason for it not to. Uh, I don't know that the web player version of it is entirely open source, but the app certainly is on iOS and Android. And I mean, there's a lot of advantages to this, you know, they're claiming their own that, it, that it's going to help them out with, you know, like, a. um, uh, you know, bug fixes and, you know, opening the code up to the community to find those of course. And, and even, you know, send in the, the, the fixes. Um, but I think the really exciting thing here is now they open sourced it under the, uh, Mozilla public license. So that is essentially forcing anybody that wants to fork this. And that's the most exciting thing to me. Anybody that wants to fork pocket casts has to keep it open source, uh, you know, through the MPL and not to say that I think anybody really needs to fork it right now. But that's awesome that such a great goddamn podcast player, you know, can be forked. Uh, you know, as, as far as like open source, I mean, look, this is just another case because I think outside of, say, Apple and Spotify and Automatic is aware of this, uh, Pocket Cast is still probably the most popular podcast platform. And in many ways, it is sort of its own platform. Uh, in fact, it's something it's the one thing I don't like about Pocket Cast is that it takes like an hour longer for a pot, a new pod, a podcast that was just op uploaded. Okay. It takes like an hour longer for it to show up in pocket casts, partly because they have their own algorithm and their own, effectively their own platform that it gets shared through. Um, so I get that, why that, why it does that, but it's, it's fucking annoying, frankly. Um, but it is a full on platform and it is really the space, the app, that could take on Spotify and Apple in any actually meaningful way, because I don't think that Amazon is 
delivering on that. Even with having podcasts available in Audible, which the UI on that is, I mean, frankly, it sucks. Uh, the way that it organizes podcasts. I, I mean, I really, really don't like it. Well, they, they fucked up the Audible UI multiple times over now. Um, but also Amazon Music, like that's just, I don't imagine that that's used that often. So even if the UI on Amazon Music isn't so bad and it's not, and hey, Sovereign Tech's everywhere. You know, you, like to get on Audible and Amazon Music, that's invite only. Sovereign Tech was invited. Now, like the UI is better on Amazon Music, but nobody uses it. So who cares, right? Uh, so really Pocket Cast is like, this is the platform that can genuinely take on Apple and Spotify. And now it has that open source ethos from the code up. Uh, and, and I'm super happy about this. I mean, this is a total win for the entire podcasting space, which I think podcasts are ultimately the, like the last bastion of real freedom and entertainment. So this is an important uh, uh, front as it were, I don't necessarily like to use military terms, but I'll go with it. This is an important front an important theater upon which to have a powerful open source platform. Uh, and we have that now. And I'll implore you here, not that automatic or pocket casts are a sovereign tech sponsor. I would certainly let them be if they wanted to be. Um, but I would implore you here. If you haven't checked out pocket casts in a while, might be time to give it a look again. Um, because you know, you really like, I think just showing even the download numbers of support after this announcement, uh, and, and this was, this just happened, um, October 23rd, 2022. So, I mean, we're talking, fuck, what is that yesterday that this was officially announced? I believe, uh, I mean, th this is the right move. So, you know, any way that I think we can really show the support there, because again, podcasting is such an important space videos, you know, video, uh, uh, documentaries and video essays and whatever, and video podcasts and all that shit that ends up on, you know, YouTube or Twitch and other BS platforms. Um, while great stuff is certainly being done there, there's a limitation to what can really happen there as to where in podcasting, I really don't think those limits are there because you can always, always self-host when it comes to podcasting and most podcast apps, as long as you've got a feed, they don't really, you know, you can usually manually add it in anyway, even if it won't show up in their search. This is such an important place to be in podcasting. If you want actual like truth and, you know, real information. And I would argue good entertainment, uh, you know, to, to get out there. So, all right. Now, while we're speaking of Apple, let's fucking talk about Apple <laughs> because they've had uh, an interesting week. So first off today, well, not, this isn't what I'm going to start talking with, but we will get into today, October 24th, 2022, the day that this episode is getting released. Uh, they did launch finally iPad OS 16. Technically they actually released iPad OS 16.1. We'll talk about more about why did they wait for 16.1 to finally release the update. We'll talk about that in a minute, but before we get into that last week, they announced, and of course, everybody knew that this was coming. Not a surprise at all. They didn't hold a huge event. They just did a press release, which, um, you know, me being in the PR biz, uh, you know, there's companies where a press release is the most important thing in their life. And then there are companies who can do full on events 
at essentially, I mean, what is ultimately no cost, right? I mean, like Apple can just announce an event yesterday and the whole world's going to watch the next day. You know, they don't need the press machine around them because people can just watch Apple's own shit. They can do it all internally. They don't need a press release. So when Apple announces things with a press release for them, it's not the most important thing in their life. Unlike other companies for them, that's actually a low bar, lowest, lowest rung on the, on the ladder, meaning they don't even care enough to hold some kind of fucking event. And I think honestly, the iPads that they announced, the hardware that they announced a press release within context of Apple makes sense (laughs) because none of this was, was really exciting. Now I want to be clear here. Okay. Because I'm going to talk about iPad OS 16. I want to be clear here. I am an iPad user. Okay. I have a fifth gen iPad air, uh, you know, like, like I, I get it. I my thoughts on the iPad and I, and I actually, I also talked about this recently on the, uh, Wednesday Q and a on Patreon. Uh, look, the iPad is like there, there ultimately there might as well not be any other tablets like there are. And you know, like the, the Kindle fire is a great tablet for F droid for F droid, very specific for F droid. And you know, of course they're inexpensive, which dynamite. Um, Samsung does their thing. And if you're into Samsung's ecosystem, of course, you know what you're getting, but really Samsung tablets are mainly just for people who are into Samsung's ecosystem. Even no matter how good the hardware is, that's the only people that are, you know, that they're going to reach. Um, everybody else, I mean, sure. Like Nokia has, you know, interesting tablets and whatever. I mean, and Google's going to be coming out with one, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, but as far as like an actual tablet computer for computing, I mean, even Google's not competing in that space. Really the iPad is it. It is just the dominant piece of hardware. And it has really earned that place in the market, created the niche in the first place in many ways, even not to say that tablet computing was a new idea, right? Of course we can go all the way back to Alan Kay and his Dynabook concept, which the iPad was trying to bring to life. Uh, and if anything, you know, like tablet computing, you know, what did Apple do? Apple did what it often does. It copied Star Trek, right? I mean, the iPod came out of Star Trek, the next generation that's admitted by the creators. The iPad came out of Star Trek, the next generation. I don't know if they fully admitted that yet, but they might as well. So it's not like it's necessarily a new idea, but the iPad has really earned its place with both power design, whatever else, uh, you know, as, as the tablet computer du jour. And it's, probably not going to lose that anytime soon. I don't see Microsoft surfaces flying off the shelves. They might be flying out of, uh, some football players hands, but, (laughs) but, but I don't see them flying off the shelves. So let's talk about what, you know, Apple is, what, what have they wrought? What have they, what have they given us for 2022? Uh, as far as their new iPads go, of course, earlier in 2022, they gave us the iPad air, like the one that I have. Um, and that'll probably come into conversation, but let's talk about what they've, what they delivered. And essentially we have two new iPad pros, the 11 inch and the 12.9 inch now that have, uh, M two processors in them. And there is a new iPad 10, which is like the, or it's the original iPad, but it's kind of like the 10th gen of it. Or would that technically be the 10th gen? Anyway, 
that, you know, it's the entry model, right? Runs at what? Four, four, four forty nine, something like that, depending upon, you know, what you get there. Uh, the big deal here, certainly for the iPad 10, which is the more interesting upgrade, even though it still has some very weird choices, uh, is that they finally put USB-C on it. So no more lightning port for that. Um, we're going to talk about more in a minute, but the biggest jump for the iPad 10 is something that I know iPad users have been asking for, frankly, since the first, like, or since like the iPad 2, that being... Uh, the camera being designed for landscape mode instead of portrait mode. So the forward facing camera would be set for, you know, where it's on the length of it. Uh, well, the length of it anyway, for the land landscape length of it as to where traditionally it's just like a smartphone where it's at the top of the screen, you know, going tall wise. Um, why they didn't do that with, if they're doing it with the iPad 10, why didn't they do that with the new iPad pros? No idea. Uh, Overall, the iPad Pros, um, I mean, you know, the addition to Thunderbolt 4, you know, and some other, like, there's an, and there's not a huge deal. There, there is a new feature with the, I, with the Apple Pencil, okay, which is called Hover, which allows, like, kind of quick features to come up, you know, like when, when you're getting close, when the pencil, not when the pencil touches the screen, but when it gets close to the screen. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but, th- but that's it. Like, th- you know, essentially the iPad 10 having a landscape camera and USB-C, that's the big deal there. As far as the iPad Pros getting the M2 uh, processor, that's the big deal there. Okay, so here's the problem with the iPad 10. With the iPad 10, it still can't work with Apple Pencil 2. It only works the first generation. Fucking weird. <laughs> you know, like, like, what is that? Um, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's an incredibly odd choice. Everything else about it. I mean, okay. Those are some nice additions or whatever, but I just, I find that to be very odd. Uh, and also it did not get an M one processor. It got the a 14, I believe. Uh, okay. I mean, whatever. That's the same shit that's in iPhone. So, you know, that's not that strange. Um, really iPads having the M one or M two processors in them is, as I've said, pointing at that Apple wants the iPad, which I've been saying for 10 years now, Apple wants the iPad to become your computer, you know, and they're kind of leaning away from MacBooks overall. Uh, even though, you know, MacBooks are phenomenal laptops, you know, in, in their own right from a hardware standpoint and certainly from a battery life standpoint. But I, I ultimately what I'm saying here is with the iPad 10, there's nothing really revolutionary going on here. Uh, and with the iPad pros getting the M2 here, you know, here's the thing with that, like, and this is some, again, you're, you're listening to someone. I'm not just complaining about Apple from the outside. I am someone who uses an iPad. I actually use my iPad a lot. Um, and in fact, ironically, I use my iPad for fairly simple things. And what's crazy about that is that, so my fifth gen iPad air latest stuff, latest stuff right? My fifth, uh, my fifth gen iPad air. It's a 256 gig model in case, you know, like it's a Cadillac. Okay. The very simple things I wanted to do. It does them. What I would argue is very slowly. 
And the reason being is the it's, it's ultimately using apps coded for iPhones. Like ultimately, I mean, there's some apps that are made specifically for iPad. Um, and that's, you know, slowly been a thing since the iPad pro was originally introduced. Uh, but for example, I read comic books on my iPad air gorgeous screen, you know, and again, it does have plenty of power, but here, here's the rub. I have like the apps that I use to read books and whatever. Sometimes they're frankly fluky. If they're even going to open what I tell it to open, say out of the file manager. Um, or even if it's in the apps folder, right? So the issue here is nothing or practically nothing as far as software goes, as far as apps go, not operating system, but apps, as far as apps go, uh, really take advantage of the M ones or the M twos. So who the fuck cares that there's an M two in, in the new iPads or the new iPad pros, like nothing's even taking advantage of the M one, let alone the M two. And I didn't see like a dramatic difference in battery life. This is a gigantic problem. Uh, like I, I find it frankly annoying that I have to constantly like clear the apps I want from cash just so that they will open up and do things. Now this is speaks to an overall problem with the Apple ecosystem. Okay. Or at least with the iOS, you know, slash iPad ecosystem. That is if you are somebody who has your own media as in has your own files, right? Your own movie files, your own MP3s, your own book files, whatever. And it's not something that goes through Apple or Amazon or whatever. Um, like iOS, iPad OS just doesn't do well with that ever. And Apple overall, just like the ecosystem overall does not play well with that, right? Like usually you have to transfer through fucking iTunes just to get PDFs on, on your iOS device, on your iDevice. What the fuck? You know, I mean, yes. Now, fortunately, like iPad OS can handle external hard drives, which is a huge boon because now I can just, you know, transfer flash drive to flash drive, which is how I like to do business anyway. Um, but that, I mean, that's, that's just, that's bullshit. And it really, really shows even on something with a goddamned M one processor in it. Um, now, so there's an overall point to be made here and we're going to get into an iPad OS 16 review here in a second or quick review. There's an overall, um, point here, which is, you know, if, if you're looking to, uh, you want to upgrade your iPad, I don't think you have any reason to upgrade your iPad because the software isn't there to take advantage of the genuinely incredible hardware. Like I'm not knocking the hardware. I'm just saying that none of the apps are made for it. Huge problem. So I see no reason. I mean, hell, you can have an iPad too. And I, I think you're rocking fine. Well, okay. There's software support issues. I'm, I'm not saying that, but even if you have an iPad, that's a few years old, I don't see any reason to upgrade to any of these things, you know, unless maybe you use it like as your laptop. But even then, like I'm saying, fuck, you know, the, like the app support, the apps are there, but the app support is not there. The app, uh, efficiency, the the app's ability to natively take advantage of the hardware is just not there right now. So don't be in a rush to jump on any of these things. And again, it's really there. I mean, the iPad 10 is a huge leap from its previous gen, you know, in certain features, but overall, especially with the iPad pros, 
these are very iterative upgrades, which, like I said, why I'm not surprised that they announced it in a press release. Um, now let's, or, well, I guess I'll get into one other point. Uh, the amount of iPads that are available now, um, frankly, if Steve jobs were still alive, like <laughs> he he'd kill more than half of these, he'd kill three quarters of these damn things. Uh, like right now. So as far as what's officially supported and available for you to buy, not just supported, but available for you to buy, say from apple.com, you have the iPad nine, the 10 inch, right? You have the iPad 10, also the 10 inch, the, the new one, you have the iPad mini six, you have the iPad air five, then you have the new iPad pro and you know, with the M two and, or that's the 11 inch. And then the 12.9 inch, iPad pro with the M two. And I, I imagine you can get last year's M one versions of both iPad pros as well. Uh, that's a lot of iPads. That's a fucking confusing amount of iPads, which, you know, I can remember what it was like years ago. And you were lucky if you had two or three models of iPad, which is what I, I think God intended, (laughs) or at least what Steve jobs intended Though Some people would uh, equate those two. Um, yeah, Steve Jobs would would not put up with this. Like you're creating and I get what Apple's doing. They're trying to cr- make it look like because they won't let any other manufacturers come in. They're trying to make it look like you have the illusion of choice and make it look like they have like a hardware ecosystem when really they don't. Uh I understand that. And I get it from a business and a marketing perspective. But at the same time, I think that kills Apple's strength. You know, like you should, you could essentially like, really, you should have the pro one, one pro model, have the, have the 12 inch pro model, have the air and then have the mini. And and that should be it. Like that, then it makes sense. It should only be those three. Uh, this is, this is not a good business model on Apple's part. And do I get where the, also where they're coming from in that like right now there's, you know, chip shortages, supply chain issues and all that. And, and is that why like the, the M two iPad pros were so iterative and didn't even like change the casing. Same with the iPad air from fourth gen to fifth gen. Yeah, of course that's what's going on. But then, you know, don't bullshit people with nonsensical up upgrades or updates. They're not even upgrades. I don't want to call them upgrades. They're just updated versions of whatever horseshit came out last year or the year or two years previous. So I don't get it. Like it's not, not a smart move. You know, it's like, it's like they're, they're trying to, they're, they're faking it. You know, they're, they're trying to fake the idea that, oh no, no, we're still developing. We're still doing shit when ultimately, well, anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future because you know, the best thing to happen to Apple is Johnny Ive going away, thankfully, but they just lost their other designer too. And they don't have anybody else coming in. Well, they probably don't need anybody else. Why? Because again, they can't afford to come up with dramatic new designs right now because every tech giant's hurting. I mean, on the bottom line. Um, so let's talk a little bit about iPad OS 16. Of course, iOS 16.1 also came out today on October 24th, 2022. Um, and I, you know, like, okay. So as soon as 1 PM hit, I'm upgrading 
I go through the process, smooth upgrade process, no issues, never really has been. Again, I've been using Apple devices for years, even though I don't often talk about them. Uh, you know, I've used an iPod touch for a very long time. That was by the way, you know, like a 2019 model. Uh, so very up to date. Um, and you know, even before that it's using others. Anyway, point being like, I've been on top of this. I'm a, I'm a tech journalist. So I'm a tech podcaster. I've got to know what the other, you know, what, what all the tech giants are up to. Right. So I know I use these devices and where they make sense. I keep using them, for example, like with an iPad. Um, so iPad OS 16 once again. Okay. Now most of the improvements I would argue were relevant to iMessage, which I don't use, um, because I don't have, you know, I don't use an iPhone. Uh, and also I am a, such a staunch supporter of getting out of the SMS slash iMessage duopoly, uh, you know, and, and moving on to things like, you know, signal telegram, whatever it happens to be, uh, threema, you know, take your pick that. Yeah. I, like I, I don't use iMessage even if I could, I wouldn't. Um, so a lot of it had to do with that where now you can edit text in iMessage and blah, 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 which, you know, by the way, so real quick, before we go further, it was so funny. Samsung released one UI five today. So Samsung phones are getting Android 13 today. And Microsoft also, uh, released Android 12 L shows how up to date. They are, uh, released Android 12 L for the surface duo and surface duo Two. their smartphones. Uh, I don't think that that's you know, I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's coincidence that both Samsung and Microsoft decided to release major updates, uh, to software, you know, OS updates to their devices on the same day that Apple's doing it. And they did it ahead of time, you know, well before 1 PM, uh, obviously they were trying to get a jump on the news cycle here. So anyway, uh, I, iPad OS 16, uh, yeah, a lot of it had to do with iMessage. None of that is really exciting for me. And if you're into iMessage, you know what that's about and, and you're doing it, uh, with mail now. So they added some, some interesting stuff to the mail app. Um, I've applauded other than the fact that Apple is scanning your emails for what images you're sending. I've applauded overall, you know, Apple's, uh, privacy features within their, uh, email ecosystem in general, uh, for a very long time. Now, essentially what they've added in with mail on you know, with, uh, iPad OS 16 is like, they have, these are features that are very common with software like Mixmax or boomerang, um, where you can do like remind me's you can get, you know, uh, automatic suggestions to follow up. Say if you haven't heard from somebody in like three or five days, uh, you can get, um, you know, automatic alerts. I mean, like there, there's all kind. you get cancel delivery of a message, like lots of these little features that frankly have been a part of other you know, email, uh, uh, services for quite some time, but I'm glad that they're there. Nice. Okay. So, you know, there was that, that certainly came along. Uh, there were with the iCloud shared photo library. That was the thing as I talked about on the recent Wednesday Q and a for Patreon, um, you know, uploading photos to any of the tech giants, uploading photos to the cloud, unless it's your own NAS is a recipe for disaster in your life. And we've covered that in recent episodes of Sovereign Tech as to why. Uh, so nothing there really exciting me. Um, you know, some passkey support ended up becoming a thing in Safari on iPadOS 16. I have not done my review yet of passkeys. I'll save it for that. 
but that ended up coming in. Um, sadly, a couple of the big features that everybody was kind of, or some people I think were excited for didn't come with this and we're having to wait till like end of the year. Maybe they might just say, Oh, we're going to need more time. Again, we were supposed to get iPad OS 16. We got iOS 16 in September. We were supposed to get this back in September. Uh, but this speaks to it. So Freeform, which is like their whiteboard app, collaboration app, that isn't coming until later. Also, the ability for the iPad Air and iPad Pros to connect to an external monitor did not launch. And I this one is the biggest fail of them all. Because what did launch with this and what arguably was the reason for the delay was to get what's called stage manager working properly on, on iPad OS uh, stage manager is a way of multitasking where like you have, you know, like say on an, well, okay. Let, let's say on a, on an iPad pro an 11 inch iPad pro, you will get like a smaller version of the app that will take up three quarters of the screen. And then the bottom quarter of the screen or the bottom, uh, uh, eighth, we'll say the, the, the remaining, whatever, uh, two eights or something, <laughs> whatever, what remains the bottom part of it will be a dock that kind of looks like Mac OS, frankly, but it'll be a dock where you can open, you know, the, the hottest apps or, you know, whatever you have set as favorites. And then on the left-hand side of the screen will be the most used for apps that you have that you can quickly flip to. Now, I like the idea of trying to figure out new ways to do multitasking on a tablet computer and especially on a smaller screen. And in some ways I feel like they're kind of copying what Ubuntu was trying to do with unity in some ways. Okay. But regardless, so the problem here is this looks interesting, but in execution on a small screen, it still doesn't really work where it is going to work is when you can connect your iPad to an external monitor, but you can't do that right now. And I think this is the biggest fail because this is the biggest, I would say the largest feature change for iPad OS 16, but then where it could really shine, you know, isn't available yet. So you're not exciting anybody with a stage manager right now, because what I think it's really meant for again, which is an external monitor, a large external monitor, um, that feature is not there yet. So I, I think that's uh, frankly, it, it's, it's a total fail to not have that. Um, regardless, you know, there was a nice new weather app and really it is a beautiful weather app. I'll give it that. Of course they're phasing out dark sky, uh, as a separate app, but, yeah, I mean that that's the deal with with iPad OS 16. Um if you weren't like this doesn't make any sense. I I think it was kind of a failure to delay iPad OS 16 to come out uh especially because stage manager manager just it, it's not ready for prime time. It's just it's not there. Prime time for it to be ready for prime time, it needed that external display feature and that's just not happening. But overall, again, the biggest problem here and that none of this is really resolving is the app issue. The, the fact that apps are not optimized for the amount of just raw balls that this hardware has. I'm not knocking the hardware. Hardware is fucking awesome. Just 
none of the software is really ready. Even the OS ultimately isn't ready, right? Because you can't even take advantage of an external display. I mean, the fact that they're going for the external display, again, this is just more proof, like I've said, that they really want iPads to replace your computer. Can an iPad do that? That's a conversation for another time um, that I want to have. And I do have thoughts about the matter of whether or not you can do that. Um, but we'll, we'll have to talk about that in the future. Anyway, nothing, the moral of the story here for the foreplay, talking about all of this Apple stuff. If you're feeling a need to update or upgrade, let, let me belay that notion or let, let, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me belay that notion. Like you just, you don't, you don't need to at all. There's really nothing that exciting going on here. Uh, and Apple even frankly seems to know it. That's why they announced it all in a press release last week. So, all right. Uh, we will be right back with some more sovereign tech. We've got some, uh, wild stories to get into and I'll be back with more. This is sovereign tech. Have you had enough of the big name web hosting services that are long on promises, but short on bleeding edge features, uptime and customer service? Or are you just looking for a performance boost for your business's online presence? The answer is Agorist Hosting. Agorist Hosting is the agile web host that offers full concierge service from website redesign, full e-commerce solutions, even custom apps for your Shopify store and more all with security, reliability, redundancy, and privacy at the forefront. Oh, and those bleeding edge features? How about hosting your data in a decentralized system like IPFS, the interplanetary file system? Good luck getting that from those other guys. Agoras Hosting is ready to take your web presence into the future. Head over to agoristhosting.com to get started. That's A-G-O-R-I-S-T hosting.com agoristhosting.com Story of the Week So let's just move right along to the other tech giant uh, what some would argue is Apple's main competitor that being Google uh, I am going to assuage some of these notions in a more abstract uh, uh, conversation that we're going to have during listener's choice, during the listener's choice segment. But for now, let's talk about what we've got here. Uh, and this is from last week, October 18th, 2022. Uh, I'll be reading from 9 to 5 Google uh, with Ben Schoon reporting on it. And here's the headline report. Google doubling down on Pixel with added focus on its hardware as Samsung bleeds. So let's read it. Uh, with the launch of the Pixel 7, Google made it clear that it had a vision to make devices in its own hardware family work better together. Now a new report claims that Google is planning to, quote, double down, end quote, on Pixel phones and its own hardware, betting on its own success over partners. Google's ambitions in the smartphone market have been moderate success over the years. We can skip ahead on all of that. Uh, according to a new report from The Information, Google is doubling down on Pixel phones and its own hardware. This apparently includes moving product development and software engineering staff to work on Google-branded devices rather than features for non-Google hardware. Google, of course, provides the base, layer, base software layer for virtually every Android phone on the planet, with new features often arriving for devices from all brands. This move supposedly won't, uh, this move supposedly won't result in reduced support for partners such 
such as Samsung, but we can already see some of its effects. An internal document seen by the information showed that recent decisions to axe Google Assistant support on some Wear OS smartwatches, as well as lessening support for assistant features, such as driving mode, were apparently a part of this shift within the company. Apparently, Google has a short list of Android brands, quote, for which it should develop the best Google services, end quote. The list includes Samsung, OnePlus, and Xiaomi, at least. Another impact we've already seen is the less important, quote unquote, less important Google made devices. Last month, Google shuttered plans for its own Chrome OS laptops, and it's become obvious that Google is pushing away from Fitbit smartwatches watches amid the launch of the Pixel Watch. The inspiration for this shift in Google's mindset apparently comes through two factors, starting with Samsung's performance in the market. Apparently, Google is, quote unquote, concerned that Samsung is losing customers to Apple iPhone shipments overtook that of Android phones in the U.S. for the first time ever in 2022. Uh, comments from a senior Google search exec executive, Sissy Hesio, hope I pronounced all that right, reveal that CEO Sundar Pichai believes that Google's efforts in making its own hardware, quote, best positions Google to be protected, end quote, from shifts in the mobile market. So, Stallion breaking in, I want to talk about this. Um... And I might read a little bit more, but this completely proves my prediction and my point that Google is looking to become, we just, we've talked about this over the past two, three episodes, Google is looking, they're pulling an Apple. They want to become a hardware company because everything else they're doing isn't working. Now you say, ultimately Google is an ad company. You're right for now. We're going to talk more about Google being an ad company or not being or no longer being an ad company, or at least not being the advertising giant that it once was when we get into listener's choice. So put a, we'll put a pin on that. Okay. But Google is looking to become a hardware company. Here's what's going on. If you, you know, if you didn't grok everything that this story was saying, of course, link is in the show notes. With Apple, and this is what I talked about, we, you know, we knew that story about Apple or, you know, overtaking Samsung or overtaking Android in general in the U.S. Um, for the first time ever. OK, you know, we, we've we've brought that point up many, many times. So effectively, Google is sweating the fact that Samsung is letting Apple eat its lunch. And Google's like, well, we can't afford this. Like our entire company rests on being a part of the smartphone market. And so Sundar Pichai is rolling up the sleeves and taking matters into, you know, and Google's taking matters into its own hands saying, fine, if you guys can't deliver, you know, a smartphone experience that'll blow everybody's mind, we'll do it. And, you know, like what's the Trojan horse here? Uh, really it's the a series within the pixel line. Um, and you know, the pixel six, a, I got to imagine is doing phenomenal numbers. And in fact, you can get that thing like on sale at certain places for, you know, just a little over 200 bucks that puts it into budget phone territory, but with all the quote unquote goodness. And I put that in quotes, I'm not saying that's the reality, but all the goodness of the pixel line. But I want to be clear here. This is exactly because I got the emails. I heard the comments, people saying, yeah, but the Google graveyard. Google's going to, you know, eventually like, I'm not going to buy a pixel phone because, you know, even if it gets supported for five years, 
Google's going to you know renege on that because they're going to pop it into the graveyard and, and they're going to pull Stadia and they're going to say, fuck you. So I'm not going to get invested in anything with Google. I had said there is effectively no way that they're going to give up on the pixel line. I might not have used the exact words double down, but I bet I might have actually said the words double down on the pixel line. And I said, no, they need to do this. They don't have a choice in the economic situation that we're in. Uh, as well as what's going on with, you know, with Sam between Apple versus Samsung and so on. They have to do this. They don't have a choice. So my prediction, my speculation that what Apple's doing, you know, after their, after their, their October event, that what Apple's doing is, or what Google's doing is they're becoming Apple, you know, just kind of in reverse where, you know, like, cause what's Apple doing now? Apple's becoming an ad company. We're going to talk more about that. Apple's becoming an ad company, right? Which we covered in a recent sovereign tech, but originally they're a hardware company. Google is originally an ad company. Now they're becoming a hardware company. Are they going to succeed? Okay. That's a whole other conversation to have, whether or not they're actually going to succeed at this, but from their own internal documents leaked or whatever, that's what they're doing. I was fucking right. Now, not only that, let's talk about this leak a little bit. Uh, I think this leaked document by the information, uh, I think that was a controlled leak. Like Google themselves leaked it. Why? Because of the very reason that I had to start having this conversation of why the pixel line isn't going anywhere in the first place, which is everybody's afraid that the pixel line, the pixel watch, pixel six or seven or whatever ends up coming out is going to end up in the graveyard. You know, they're just, they're going to, they're going to can it at some point because it's not profitable. Um, I think Google knew, especially after the closure of stadia, not long before the announcement of the, the official announcement of the pixel seven, they knew they had to, they had to assuage those fears. And I think this is exactly how they did it is they leaked an internal memo. Um, so this wasn't like journalists getting their hands on something hot. This was, this was a, this is controlled marketing. That's exactly what this is. Okay. Now it still proves the point and it's still a fact. It doesn't mean it's a lie. I think it's absolutely accurate. I think it was genuinely an internal memo, but it's one that, again, that Google put out there, uh, you know, on purpose, uh, you know, in, in a controlled fashion. So, uh, let's talk, I want to read a little bit more from Ben Schoon here, uh, around kind of the economic, uh, situation that we're in, which won't surprise anybody, but let me read it quote. The other part of the equation comes from the broader economic situation as Sundar Pichai has expressed a goal to make the coiny or make the company 20 quote, 20% more efficient end quote that has led to hiring freezes and scaling back in other areas. Last month, Google cut down on its experimental area 120 division by 50% and also announced that it's Google Stadia cloud gaming platform would shut down in early 2023. Notably, also, uh, notably too, Haseo also apparently has uh, considered shifting some employees away from Android Automotive, a project that car makers such as Ford, Volvo, and more are using for native in-car operating systems. Uh, while that project is set to make Google upwards of $1 billion annually in the coming years, the amount is too, quote, quote unquote, too small to make a meaningful difference in the company's bottom line. 
Alphabet's parent, uh, Google's parent company reported, reported revenue just shy of $70 billion in quarter, uh, quarter two, 2022 alone. This doesn't affect the standard version of Android auto. The report says, so they have Android auto, which could make them over a few years, a billion dollars. And boy, that's just not enough. <laughs> but I mean, it goes to show like they're thinking a very long game. I mean, it's preposterous that a billion dollars isn't enough for a company, but okay. Uh, you know, whatever. So they're thinking uh, they're playing a very long game and they're thinking, sure, it'll make a billion in a few years, but that's not enough for us in a few years. And even if that's bringing in money now, we have to think about what things are going to look like five to 10 years from now, five to 10 years from now. What do they plan on things looking like that? The pixel is the competitor to the iPhone. Is that going to happen? And uh, again, the success of all this, I don't know, but do I think they have the best shot? Yeah, sure. Uh, that doesn't mean Samsung's going to necessarily fall away. Part of the problem is, so see, here's the thing, Samsung's model, and this will speak to what we're going to get into in listeners choice about ads. Samsung's model is not ads. Samsung's model. Well, a, they sell fucking everything under the sun in South Korea. However, that's only one country on the entire planet where they sell that much shit, um, you know, from everything from socks to toothbrush. Well, I don't know if they, they do socks, but I mean, they even build submarines for fuck's sake. Um, Samsung really relies like their business model is you need to buy our next shiny piece of shit. That's Samsung's model. Okay. Get you into their ecosystem, even away from Google's ecosystem, even though it's, you know, built on top of Android. Uh, but I mean, we could get into how, Samsung is pushing and other companies as well are pushing for smart TVs to actually use Tizen instead of Google TV. Uh, I mean, they're really like Samsung is not playing ball with Google, even though, uh, you know, in, in this leaked memo, it's clear that Google will continue to give like the best features of Android. If anything, features overall for Android, really for only a very few companies. In fact, it's funny. It's the same few companies that I've mentioned over and over again. If you need a smartphone, you either buy, you know, if you're outside of the U.S., go ahead and go with Xiaomi. But if you're in the U.S., you either buy Google, Samsung, or again, you buy Apple. Um, but I mean, that, that's hilarious. So those are the only companies that are going to be end up getting, you know, the latest and greatest features. Okay, so Motorola doesn't seem to be in this list. Nokia is not in this list. There's a, there's a slew that are not in this list. Um, oh, and OnePlus is there, which I've mentioned that as well, even though OnePlus is really, you know, kind of fallen from what made it great in the first place anyway. So that's important. So they're still going to work with Samsung because they know they can't really leave it behind because Samsung is such a large part of the overall Android ecosystem. So they can't drop it, but it is funny because Samsung is doing its damnedest to distance itself from Google, certainly on a software standpoint, granted Samsung's the company that makes the tensor processor. Maybe Google is eventually going to look into doing that on their own. I don't know that I could see that happening in the future. Um, but eventually I think Samsung's going to run into some trouble because their business model does not have a fallback, uh, like a, a fallback profitability. What I mean by that is so you take Apple. Okay. Apple can take the time, the long game to get into the ad business because they have the, the cushion of their 
tremendously uh, profitable hardware business, right? And their app, you know, the, the 30% they take on, you know, the Apple tax. So <laughs> on apps. Um, so they've got that to fall back on. So they can try out new, you know, they can get into a different market sector. Google has their incredibly profitable ad business, and it still is profitable today, to take the time to build a proper hardware business. Okay, so they have a cushion. Just like Amazon can do whatever the fuck it wants. Why? Because it has Amazon.com as, you know, as, as a marketplace that makes an ass ton of money now. You know, so they can experiment anywhere they want to. You know, and it doesn't matter if they lose money on it because they have the cushion of the entire retail industry. Samsung doesn't really have a cushion outside of maybe government money from, you know, from the South Korean government overall. Uh, I mean, they do make a lot of components that a lot of other manufacturers take advantage of, certainly. But ultimately, like they're the company I am a little worried about. And clearly Google is as well, because right now, the way the supply chain and the economy is in general and inflation and everything else, the business model of buy our shiny new piece of shit as quickly as, you know, as often quickly and as often as you can, uh, like that doesn't work today, you know? And so, which it's not a surprise that Samsung's offering, you know, like these really long support cycles for devices. They would have never done that two, you know, two, three years ago. Uh, but now they know they have to, because they're not going to be able to, uh, well, there, there's a few different reasons behind this. I think one of them being that much like Apple's doing much like everybody's doing. I mean, even the Google six or the pixel six and the pixel seven, aren't that different from each other. As far as form factor goes, um, everything's so iterative. There's no reason not to support them for long periods of time because they're effectively the same fucking hardware. So there's no dramatic differences in code that you need to worry about as far as sending security patches and even OS updates. So there's no reason not to, but Samsung's also got to be feeling the squeeze that, yeah, no, a lot of people probably aren't going to buy the S23 or even the S24 or the S25. As to where two, you know, as to where three, four years ago, people be upgrading every year and it's not going to happen now. And I'm glad for that on a personal level, but that's what these companies are really dealing with. So we're entering, okay, so main point to take away here, pixel devices aren't going anywhere. If you were sweating that, they're not, okay? Um, but kind of a larger point is business is not being done as usual at all. And I don't just mean like, oh, there's little changes here and there. I mean, companies are going through dramatic shifts and things are changing. Or are they actually just going in reverse, We'll talk about that when we come back with more Sovereign Tech. Science. Outer space. Psychology. Book and movie recommendations. Fiction from the Sovereign Universe. Travels to points of mystery and the unexplained. And even spirituality? All of that can only mean one thing. The Sovereign Technica Newsletter. By me, Ellen Sovereign. Along with some stuff by that crazy man I call my husband, Dr. Brian Sovereign. It's the latest tool in your self-directed education. 
the education that really matters. If you want to cut through the crap of mainstream media ass clowns, sign up for the Sovereign Technica newsletter right now at sovereign.substack.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N.substack.com. The Sovereign Technica newsletter. Welcome to the future. Listener's choice. So I had an interesting email come in um, that had to do with Amazon. That had to do with what I have coined now for many, many years, that being the Amazon World Domination Tour, which was, again, me predicting, in this case, back in 2013, when nobody else was talking about Amazon, me predicting that this is the company that's going to beat out all of the tech giants. Here's all their Trojan horses that they're using. And this is the Amazon world domination tour. And you can go all the way back to the early episodes of sovereign tech and hear me talk about this on how they're going to do it. Um, and you know, eventually become a monopsony, which in many ways they have and really become the tech giant without peer. I mean it like sure. Apple versus Google's going on. Yeah. Uh, Amazon doesn't even care. Like, it's not even a battle, you know, it's like, it's like God, it's like Greek gods kind of, you know, Hermes and Aphrodite doing bullshit against each other. But Zeus is just above it all. Like, what are you guys doing holding his lightning rod? And well, <laughs> if those were actually lightning bolts, hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, Amazon's just pl- playing above them all. And I was covering what Amazon was doing long before any, 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 any other tech show. This week in tech, whatever, you take your pick of them. The biggest ones were even bothering to talk about what they're up to. And I was saying, no, you don't get it. This is what everybody's going to be talking about in five years. And that's exactly what happened. So my predictive powers still seem to have, you know, I still seem to live somewhat either six months to six years in the future, as uh, one kind listener said uh, uh, some time ago. But anyway, (laughs) that's all part of being the future, folks. So. Uh, I got an email saying, you know, about the Amazon world domination tour, basically saying, you know, stallion, did you realize that Amazon's ad revenue, like their ad business was bringing in to the tune of $31.6 billion. And that by 2023, the, uh, the expected net digital ad revenue would was projected at 39.45 billion dollars with a B. Did I know about this? And what do I think about it? Okay. So yeah, no, this is something I've known about. Um, and it does play well. in what we've talked about recently, how Apple is really pivoting into becoming an ad company more than anything else. I mean, and we did just get the announcement that like, there are going to be more ads in the app store. And like when you're downloading, it's insane what's going on. You have Google, of course, they're going nuts with ads still where they're even putting ads. Um, Oh, what what were the, or no, they were lengthening like the ads on YouTube to insane lengths. Uh, it's getting crazy out there as far as ads go. Now here's the thing. And we, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but there is a large point 
to bring up. Every company wants to be right now wants to be an ad company. They want that ad revenue. They know they need it. Why? Because certainly right now, most people do not have the, um, uh, uh, the expendable cash to just keep buying. Like we were talking about with Samsung, the new shiny piece of shit. People can't do that right now, but can you show advertisers some not shiny new piece of shit, but some shiny new numbers that say, Oh, you reached this many eyeballs and blah, blah, blah. And what did that do for ROI? And well, you're not going to show them what it did for ROI because it's not going to do anything for ROI, but can you do that? Yes. That is something that you can fudge, you know, and impress somebody that's actually going to give you money as to where you can't fudge your hardware sales, which is why of course for years now, Apple hasn't declared their hardware sales anymore. But if you look at the tech giants minus Samsung, okay, which like I said, that's why I think they're in trouble because they're not in the ad business. But when you look at Microsoft, you look at Meta, you look at Google Alphabet, you look at Amazon, you look at Apple, what Apple's planning on, even if they're not bringing in crazy ad revenue right now, they are hiring loaded for bear on this one to become an ad company. Okay. Um, you can see like just how much each company is putting into this side of their business. It's the same reason Microsoft will never get, will never give up on Bing because they know they need that ad revenue. I mean, they're pretty much putting ads in all their widgets and windows 11 anyway. Right. And the numbers that you're seeing for the ad revenue from these companies are astronomical. You know, I mean, maybe not everybody's performing as well as Amazon is right now, but I mean, it's another area where they're just, they're a sleeping giant compared to Google. It's just a matter of time, but I mean, they're, they're making, they're probably making more money on ad revenue than they are in just about anything else. Minus maybe AWS. Now, I think what's happening here is all of these ad dollars, these increased ad dollars, be it projected or real right now in hand, uh, is cutting into Google's business. You know, Google for the past, you know, almost 20 years has been blowing away any other company on ad revenue, just blowing them away. But I think Google sees that that's changing and that Amazon's cutting in. Apple's definitely going to cut in just on their, you know, just on their reach of the Apple ecosystem alone. Um, and they're scared. And that's part of why they're getting into the hardware business because they need another, you know, they have the cushion of their, their ad revenue right now, but they need to get into the hardware business. So, you know, they need to pivot a bit because ads are not going to bring in the amount of money that they need to. That's part of the reason. I mean, why would they drop like their area 120, uh, uh you know, experimental projects by 50% because they, they can't afford it straight up. They just can't afford it right now. They need to do something. They need to bring in some kind of new proven business model, which hardware certainly is. Again, look at Apple. Um, that that can supplement their declining ad revenue. So ultimately, again, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but this is a point I want to bring up. Ultimately, what's happening here is Silicon Valley is effectively becoming an ad industry. And ultimately that makes me feel like 
you know, like all of this promise that Silicon Valley had that, oh yeah, oh, we're going to change the world. We're going to bring knowledge to the world. We're going to do all this. You know, we're going to, we're going to set information free. We're going to set entertainment free. We're going to, you know, democratize creativity. We're going to do all this crap. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to change everything. We're going to get rid of the gatekeepers. We're going to do blah, 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 blah. All of that now in 2022 is effectively proven to be excrement, complete bullshit. If any, I mean, look, this is, you got to understand like what was television, which was the previous, you know, before the PC. Okay. You had the PC revolution, right? What was the revolution before the PC? You had the television revolution before that you had the radio revolution. Okay. Television really was a revolution and arguably had very similar aims to what Silicon Valley would talk about, about, you know, yeah, you know, we're going to get information out there. We're going to get this. We're going to get that, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like that was the conversations that, that were happening. And you can look at the regulation around television where you had to have such and so much educational content or GI Joe has to have a moral message at the end or whatever, you know, like, like this is stuff that was claimed to be required, but ultimately what was tele, what did television become regardless of if we get, you know, a, an amazing show like Cosmos or Star Trek or, you know, the handful of shows that actually stand the test of time uh, and that actually like improve, I would argue, the human condition. Um, ultimately, what did the te- television revolution become? It became an ad industry. It's all it was. How to sell a Toyota. It's all it became. And what's happening with Silicon Valley? The same fucking thing. So while certainly we now live in a surveillance civilization, in fact, I don't even like the term fuck surveillance capitalism, fuck the concept of surveillance society or the surveillance state or anything like that. Now that smartphones really, again, are infrastructure. They're not an option. I mean, they are ultimately yes, but to get around in civilization as it stands today, largely you have to have a smartphone. Okay. Again, when you can't even see the menu at a restaurant anymore without a smartphone, we're in trouble, but that's where we're at. And so in that sense, it is really, society is not a strong enough word because society is like, okay, well, sure. People have accepted it, but when it's civilization, that means it's infrastructure. That means it's like the pipes, right? It's like plumbing. So surveillance at this point is like plumbing. And that's a major part of what, you know, the new ad industry is about. But while it is a new way of schlepping ads to you, the world really hasn't changed. Nothing changed. This, this whole PC revolution, this whole, you know, like the internet setting everything free and whatever and information, uh, you know, being cheap and easy and blah, blah, nothing changed. Nothing has changed. These companies that had these supposed lofty goals, including Apple, mind you, who was the biggest one. Remember what Steve Jobs said? You know, people turn on their television and they turn their brain off. They turn on their computer to turn their brain on. Remember that? Great quote. Great quote. Great idea. I agree. I thought that's how things were going to be. But even Apple is really just... Yeah. <laughs> What is that? New boss, same as the old boss. We haven't changed anything. Nothing's changed. The internet, really, 
the internet has not changed shit because everything, everything is just advertising still. Nothing changed. If anything, it's worse because at least in the old ad industry, creators got to make a pretty penny. They got to make some, a, a nice chunk of change, but now creators make practically nothing. I mean, how many YouTube stars, how many stories do you have to read about like YouTube or Twitch stars who, you know, have a million subscribers or whatever else. And they work as a waiter or waitress for a day job because they don't make enough, but they're one of the most popular people on the planet. Creatives are, are fucked now, especially with, you know, varying IP laws and DMCA, you know, like all kinds of, I mean, it's, it's just screwing everybody. So if anything, the internet has made everything fucking worse and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. I'm glad. Okay. You can say that you and like me that, all right, great. We were able to download, you know, free movies and, and free books and all of this jazz and everything. And yeah, you know what? That's dynamite, but we are such a small, we're not even like a 0.1 percentile of the population that knows to take advantage of this stuff and knows how to even do that or even cares. We are such a small part of the population. Nothing has changed and everything around us has just gotten worse because why? Because what became the ultimate aims of these companies advertising, which is what has been the, 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 uh, uh the monetary backbone of every technology for the past 150 years. Nothing has changed. Stop putting the bullshit message out there that the internet set things free or that, Oh, isn't it amazing that we can access all this from our smartphone or blah, blah, blah. Stop. It's only made it all worse. Nothing has changed. These companies all they're interested in, you say, oh yeah, well, oh, they've empowered me as a creator or whatever. Well, you can't make anywhere near as much as a creator did, you know, 20 years ago or hell, even 10 years ago. But not only that, what, why are they empowering you as a creator to sell more ads? And that's all. They don't give a shit about art, not for a goddamn thing. And art is an essential part of the human condition. And when your entire civilization is effectively based on something that really, and I would argue that ads and the profit motive, they're really kissing cousins, if not more than kissing cousins. When that's the underpinning of all technology and you know, everything around you, like that is effectively anti-art and it becomes ultimately anti-human. Now, am I arguing for, you know, uh, 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 some kind of primitivism or something like that? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. Okay. But what I am saying to you is stop pretending, stop pretending that the world has changed, that somehow that any part of Silicon Valley, I don't care that any part of Silicon Valley has somehow improved the world or changed things. They haven't. They've gone back to the quote unquote tried and true 
they've gone back to what's, you know, put forward any technology. I mean, fuck, even Netflix has to put ads in their paid. I, I mean, that's the same thing that happened to cable, right? Cable originally, the idea was, no, you were paying for television, so you don't need to get ads. But then what happened? Holy fuck, suddenly there's commercials on CNN or there's commercials on whatever, on TBS or TBN or whatever, uh, you know, whatever network, TNT. What happened? You got screwed over. It's because every, because nothing changes. All of these technological advancements, nothing fucking changes. It just keeps going back to the old ways. It keeps going back to advertising. And so I say to you, welcome to the old world brought to you by Silicon Valley. I'll be back with more sovereign tech. Hey baby. I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail. okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Shall we play a game? Woo! All right. We get to calm down a little bit and relax. And actually, yeah, I've got great shit to talk about now. <laughs> Back when there was some innovation coming out of Silicon Valley, or at least the PC revolution hadn't been taken over by ads yet. Uh, you know, Tim Draper hadn't figured out how to get those, uh, ads in the bottom of hotmail. Uh, well, no, actually by this time he would have. And what time are we talking about? We are talking about none other than the glory year of 1996. Though for many others, it might've been 1997 when this would end up on PlayStation as compared to 96, when it would end up on PC. And we are talking about, a remastered version. It's not done yet, though. There is a full on standalone demo that you can download. Link is in the show notes for this. Believe me, you're going to want to, because we are talking about one of the greatest games in history, PC or console. And certainly on console, I actually, uh, well, kind of an interesting thing on, we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll break it down. I, I've covered this before because for me, it was right up there with, Star Wars TIE Fighter is one of the most influential, not just games, but really pieces of media in my life ever. In fact, this game, which despite what others you know may think, and certainly people have had plenty of theories of why does, and this is still true folks, for those that have seen me, why does the man of tomorrow always wear all black all the time? I mean, holy shit. Even my wedding ring's black. It's insane. Why? Why does he wear all black? Well, reason being is this game right here, Wing Commander 4, The Price of Freedom. And, well, and you're wondering, wait a minute, so then why does he wear all black? Look, I've already told the story a ton of times. There's this secret organization, and they're not the good guys, which that shouldn't surprise you that I was into the bad guys in the game. Um, there's a secret organization called Black Lance that that's what they do. They wear all black 
all the time. And I thought they were so fucking badass. Uh, and that's actually what inspired me at the time. I would have been 15, 16. And, uh, and that's, well, that's where it all started. Anyway, uh, very influential game. Great storyline. Of course, you have multiple storyline paths to go through because this is somewhat of a, this is wing commander of course is a flight sim. Um, probably next to star Wars, maybe, and like say free space or a couple others, maybe the most popular, uh, flight sim, certainly space flight sim series in history. Uh, I mean, it's still always talked about. And as is happening here, it's actually getting a fan remastering. Um, this is, this is incredibly exciting, but, uh, but yeah, wing commander, uh, I mean, like, most people did PC gaming just so they could jump on this action. Granted, these games would appear, all of the Wing Commander games, or at least quite a few of them, would appear on other consoles. Uh, like on Super Nintendo, like the first Wing, or Secret Missions anyway, would be on there. Um, you know, lots of different consoles would try to take it on because, again, it just was that fucking popular. Even when the last game of the series, uh, or the last, I mean, well, it wasn't really numbered, but it was kind of Wing Commander 5. Anyway, Wing, Com Wing Commander Prophecy... Uh, the farthest game in the storyline, when that got released, uh, that would even get a Game Boy Advance port, of all things. I mean, that's how popular these games were. But Wing Commander 3 and Wing Commander 4 would both get a release on the PlayStation 1. Uh, and a lot of people, that was the way they got introduced to it, because they were also full motion video games. So as much as they were space flight sims, they were also, you know, again, FMV, and starring none other than Mark Hamill as the heart of the tiger, um, he, oh, he was just fantastic in it. And he had lots of great actors. He had Malcolm McDowell, John Reese Davies. I mean, they were just loaded. And really for me, Wing Commander four was the height, even though prophecy was a technically more advanced game. Uh, Wing Commander four, I still think is as good as it gets just like sure with tie fighter, we would get, you know, X-Wing Alliance that would come out later on and would technically be more impressive. Uh, I still think TIE Fighter is the greater game. The The irony is Wing Commander 4 was kind of the least best-selling game of the entire saga. And that's part of the reason. So this is getting done basically by a group of fans. Um, not unlike, uh, you know, the, the TIE Fighter Total Conversion that came out uh, a couple of years ago now where they, you know, they completely redid and, and rebuilt and added missions and all this stuff, you know, into the original or, you know, as part of the original Star Wars TIE Fighter. Of course, interestingly, they would use the X-Wing Alliance engine for it, but you get my point. Uh, similar thing is being done here with uh, Wing Commander 4 Remastered, where they are, you know, like they're upscaling the full motion video to like 4K, which that's not hard um, because most 4k content is upscaled. Anyway, it's not natively 4k. Anyway, don't need to go back down that road. Um, and then for the games, you know, graphics and everything, like they're changing up the missions, making things, trying to make improvements here and there and what you can do in the missions. And I applaud everything that they're trying to do. They're remastering the score, uh, you know, the soundtrack. I, I mean, they're doing really great work here. Uh, link is in the show notes, but it's W C respace.com that's where you can go to download the demo you can play it right now and it's fucking insane like just how good this looks the only thing i really can compare it to is tie fighter total conversion and frankly tie fighter total conversion in my opinion is the singular reason to have a gaming pc like because it's that goddamn great 
and they just had a, a recent patch come out one version 1.3.2. Uh, so they're not resting on this. As far as when wing commander four remastered is going to be done, the team admits, Hey, look, we're just fans. We have day jobs. Uh, it'll be done when it's done, but man, if it takes five years, but we get results like we did with tie fighter total conversion, we're in for a winner winner here. I mean, really, uh, just a phenomenal, I mean, I mean, this game, especially if you, I mean, one of my problems with the wing commander series is compared to the star Wars flight Sims was the, the motion, like the, the sense of motion in the games never really clicked for me. And it really is exclusive to wing commander. And it's some kind of development. I don't want to say a technical issue. It's just some kind of way that they were developed because I can think of other flight sim series, like say the, including on the PlayStation, like the phenomenal colony wars trilogy. Uh, and I have no problem with the sense of flight, like that I am moving at speeds, you know, within that game. Uh, same is true for, you know, the, the star Wars, uh, uh, space sims, but with wing commander, I, I used to describe it. It felt like I was kind of flying a couch or like flying a desk. It, it just, it, it, it was very weird. It didn't feel like the fighter was moving. It felt more like everything else was kind of moving around you. It just, it didn't, it didn't work right. Uh, but the demo that I checked out, like that problem is solved. So, you know, what could be argued as in my mind, the last issue of the wing commander series, which really wasn't an issue because the stories are so great. Like you want to play them anyway. You can even watch them like a movie if you want. Um, in fact, I've even featured them in, uh, the sovereign technica newsletter to watch them as a movie. Uh, but the stories are so great. Like that, that was, you know, the flight sim part of it was never really an issue for me, but they're even looking to improve on that. And so far what I've seen, they have, uh, so this is instant download. Definitely something you want to support in any way that you can. Um, yeah, I, I'm super stoked for this. Uh, they said that they do not, the reason they chose wing commander four particularly was that if EA was ever going to do their own remastering, they would do it for the original trilogy, which sold gangbusters, you know, one, two, and three. And they said that for prophecy, there's already a massive modding scene that, you know, it just, there wasn't any point. So they went for the thing that probably was the jewel that wasn't going to get uncovered. Um, and I applaud them for that, but it just so happens also to be my favorite game in the entire saga. Uh, again, the storyline, you'll, you'll love it. And especially you get the option to take some darker turns in this and, Big fan, big, big fan. You know, when, when, when Mark Hamill as Admiral, uh-huh, Admiral Blair, if you don't know about this ending, you go on to check that out, you know, with, with Mark Hamill as Admiral Blair, you know, standing on the bridge. Oh man, that's so good. Anyway, <laughs> those that know, know. Uh, so yeah, check this out. Link is in the show notes and we'll certainly be keeping an eye on this one. And when it does fully release, I will definitely be doing a review. Actually, I imagine Rob and I might even do a review of on all things TIE Fighter Renegades, uh, you know, when that time comes. So we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech and maybe some more fun. Journey into the far reaches of Aqua Space. Attention, security brief. Brace for impact. Launch countermeasures. From Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. 
Oh man, what you've got right here for Album of the Week is certainly in the top 10 albums of 2022, and that's saying something, because we've had some doozies in 2022. Uh, This is certainly a top 10 album. It's not going to be Album of the Year. It's not going to beat Victorious's, you know, (laughs) Dinosaur Warfare Part 2. Like, nothing's touching that. But this is getting mighty close. Uh, this was an album that I've been incredibly excited for all year because we knew it was coming. Uh, Frontiers, who I've talked about in previous albums of the week, uh, Frontiers Music SRL has promoted the fuck out of this thing. And boy, am I glad because they deserve it because they've got I mean, here here's the thing. Frontiers normally lives off of the uh, the largesse of name recognition where like, you know, they'll combine, say, Striper's Michael Sweet with George Lynch, you know, from Dokken and Lynch Mob, which is an insane combination to make in many ways, but then you get two great albums out of it, right? Uh, Frontiers, you know, like they generally, and and I'm not complaining, I love the fact that they give older acts, you know, uh, a new platform, as it were. Uh, Rarely, well, not too rare, but yeah, all right, I'm going to say rarely rarely does frontiers really make a name for themselves by bringing up a new artist. They do it all the time. And there are some really phenomenal acts that have come out of frontiers, but they don't really like, I've never really seen where anyone else has gotten this kind of a push, but this gal has gotten that kind of a push. I mean, hard. Uh, and I'm probably not pronouncing, I keep forgetting how to pronounce her first name, but Chez Kane. Okay. Uh, she was originally in a band called Caned, I think with like her sister or whatever. Great albums. You can check those out as well. Uh, but she had initially had an album, a self-titled album come out in 2021, which was just shy of album of the year that year as well. Uh, and I mean, just phenomenal songs on it. Better than love, all of it, rock it on the radio, uh, too late for love. I mean, there's, there's just tons of killer songs on there. Her new album. Now, no, all right, hold on. Now I want to talk about her previous album for a second. Okay. So far, I mean, and I've gone through her second album, which is called power zone. And that's our album of the week. Okay. Coming out in 2022. Uh, her new album. I, I don't think there is as many catchy songs on it. It's still great. But here's where the new album, I think, is actually better. So her first album, I felt like, and this is true for a lot of bands or, you know, artists coming out of Europe, which Chez Kane is one of those. Um, they are writing songs that sound very much like rock hits, you know, or metal hits from the 70s and 80s. But like they're changing them up just enough to where it sounds kind of fresh and it's kind of different. Here's an example. Uh, the band Nestor. Okay. Phenomenal launch album. I mean, just a phenomenal debut album, really like, holy shit. And that's a self-titled album as well. Uh, they have the song on their perfect 10. Okay. Kick-ass song. Here's the thing. Listen to the backbeat on that. It's, it's kiss. 
you know, <laughs> it's I was made for loving you. That's exactly what it is. I mean, the rolling drum, everything about it is I was made for loving you. The song after Perfect Ten on that same album is Right Now by Van Halen. Even though it's not Right Now by Van Halen, it's 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 another song. But you can hear the din, din, din. You can hear all that. Uh, and this is becoming a very common thing. I even noticed it with um, uh, like those big nine albums that uh, Psycho Sinner put out uh, a year or so ago, um, where there was the one song that sounded, uh, what was it? Fucking in hell or whatever that sounded exactly. I mean, exactly intonation. Everything's the same. It's war machine by kiss from, from creatures of the night, which I can't wait for that, uh, remastered version to come out in November uh, of creatures of the night. Anyway. So this is a thing that's happening. I'm not really complaining about it. I like it. Bring that sound back, get people back into that sound. And then hopefully they'll explore the previous catalog of metal you know, or, you know, in hard rock and we'll see. But so this is the thing, like, so I feel like with Ches Kane's first album, especially with like the song, all of it is very much just like, I want it all by queen. It has the same like attitude. And, and there's other songs that kind of have kind of hit in that range where it's like, Oh, you're, you're sort of playing with a classic but you're trying to make it your own and make it a, a different song. But like, if you're someone like me who has the memory that I have and also the, you know, experiences, um, and has listened to so much goddamn music in one's life that you can't help but hear it. So power zone, her new album, however, it, I don't feel like there was really any song on here that pulled that trick where it was meant to sound like a previous classic from another band. Um, uh, so I'm going to give it credit for that. And there are great songs on here. Opening track. I just want you phenomenal. Uh, the things we do when we're young and love phenomenal, uh, children of tomorrow gone power zone. I mean, it's still a great album. There's some, like some of the slower stuff I felt like was a little weak, but even what's a weaker song is hitting the attitude of the era. Cause she's, she's playing straight up eighties hard rock here. Uh, it's hitting the attitude of that era. And so I love it just because it sounds like it came from that time. And that's great. Um, admittedly, like a lot of what I think gives, uh, uh, so much power to Ches Kane's sound is that her producer is none other than Danny Rexon. Uh, Danny Rexon, of course, is the brains and lead singer for, uh, crazy licks, which is easily one of the best modern rock acts in the world. Um, like their album that came out in 2022, uh, you know, rise above, uh, just amazing or sorry, that was 2021, uh, street lethal was the name of the album for, for crazy licks. But the, the kind of the title tr- or the opening track is, uh, is rise above and man, just pure fucking nuclear intensity. <laughs> anyway, check out power zone by Ches Kane and by all means, and let nothing take anything. Let, don't let anything detract from her first album, go and listen to that first album too. If you haven't already, these are two of the best albums really in the past 20 years, 30 years for fuck's sake. I mean, they're, they're really, really solid. Uh, I think she definitely deserves to be put in that category, you know, with like Lee Aaron, Chrissy Steele, uh, you know, and, the, and those kinds of acts. Uh, I mean, she's delivering right there. So anyway, Ches Kane with Power Zone from this year, 2022, just came out in October. Check it out, and we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. From Big Finish Productions. 
Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. But you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. The Ancient and the Strange It is time for The Ancient and the Strange and we are going to continue on our journey uh, audio journey of reading some of the spirituality uh, segments from the Sovereign Technica newsletter of course you can sign up for that at sovereign.substack.com and even in the free version you get the spirituality segment uh so even if you just want to do the free version go for it if you want to pay for it i know that ellen certainly would be honored and of course as would i um this one is well so you're going to hear me in the the opening of it mention the naturism uh conversation that is something i am not going to do for the ancient and the strange uh, not going to get, or at least not anytime soon. That is a series within the Sovereign Technica newsletter that is going to be pretty much stuck to that. Maybe in the future when it's done and done, I would do an audio version of it, but for now it's going to stick into the newsletter. Um, so this was a slight, a quick break, as I call it, from the naturism conversation. And it's titled, You Are Not Meant for Mundanity. Uh, and believe it or not, it is a write-up about a video game commercial. And you may be asking, what the fuck does that have to do with spirituality? Well, amazingly, as you'll find out, in my opinion, everything. Uh, It is one of the singular, most brilliant uh, advertising campaigns, even on face face value. It, it was genius. And it's for, uh, for Sony play or, you know, it's for the PlayStation for the PlayStation in general, not just any one game, but it was for the PlayStation. Uh, I will play that audio, you know, like I'll, I'll break while I'm reading. Cause there's a point where I say like, here, I want you to stop reading this, watch this video, and then we'll and then come back and read this. I will play the audio for you right here. And I'm more than happy to, because I think, I mean, it, it's a fucking life mantra. It's so great. Uh, and not terribly long, but it is so goddamn great. Uh, and I'll probably cut it off before it says the words PlayStation, but you'll get everything that matters, um, in the audio. So I don't know that I can really explain what I want to say other than in what I actually wrote. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time here, but I think you'll get the point as I read it and then I'll come back with more. And then, you know, we got to get into our black Adam review. Oh yeah, baby. Uh, so 
I'll see you on the other side of this segment. You are not meant for mundanity. I want to take a quick break from the very important naturism conversation, this issue, to answer a question I often get ever since I started more openly discussing the mystical, spiritual, and esoteric. Dr. Sovereign, this spirituality slash Kabbalah is great and all, but what does this all end up looking like in practice? Where does this go? Well, without getting into the notion of repairing the universe just yet, I have a video I want you to watch. It's not long. I won't waste your time. And yes, it's a video game commercial, but I want you to trust me and listen to the words very carefully. Mm -hmm. Who are you not to be great? You, the imagination of a brilliant child and the powers of an ancient god. Who are you to be ordinary? You, who can rescind life or raise the dead. Who are you to be afraid? You who can serve as judge and jury while hoarding infinite lives. Who are you to be a slave to the past? You who can travel time like the oceans and rewrite history with a single word. Who are you to be anonymous? You whose name should be spoken in reverent tones or in terrified whispers. Who are you to deny greatness? If you would deny to yourself, you deny to the entire world. And we will not be denied. Amazing. And really, the opening words are enough. Who are you not to be great? You with the imagination of a brilliant child and the powers of an ancient god? Those are ridiculously powerful and, depending on one's effort, potentially true, words that have no right to be in, of all things, a Sony PlayStation console advertisement. But there it is. It's perhaps fitting and not so coincidental that I wrote about this ad, which I have talked about on Sovereign Tech many times, as I am modding a PlayStation 3 console. While the history of this commercial from 2013 is legendary and the entire Greatness Awaits campaign by Sony would, rightfully, go on for years, I don't think it's fully appreciated for what it says and visually delivers. Sure, it's exciting, and it probably helped sell a whole hell of a lot of PlayStation 4s and Vitas, which, frankly, everyone should own a modded Vita. It's the last game console you'll ever need, trust me. But there is a lot more going on here than just slick production. If you don't mind me dalliancing in the mystical for a moment, nearly every word spoken by the charismatic narrator has a ring of truth to it when one considers the spiritual realm and powers that exist there too. Yes, perhaps even the travel time like the oceans bit. Even the comment of rewriting history with a single word highlights the importance of words and language and their effect on space-time and thought. We'll get to that thought part in the future. Every line of the commercial could have entire books written about it. In fact, it's almost odd. Nearly everything said, besides perhaps the comment about hoarding infinite lives, isn't really applicable to video games and is spoken of so broadly as if it were an ancient Egyptian mantra right out of the Book of the Dead, which should actually be called the Book of the Ever-Living, but that's another conversation, and no mumra jokes, please. But it gets even better. The very end, when our lead character says, we will not be denied, suddenly the chaos of the reality he exists within becomes clear, and I can't help but see that chaos he enters as a visual representation of the spiritual realm that we, unless trained to do so, normally don't see, but is always there, right down to the demons. 
This is a masterpiece of mysticism, my friends, and the person who devised it knows a lot more about how the universe actually works than most scientists, I think. The beauty here, though, is that this doesn't even have to be about mysticism. The call to action from the very beginning of it can be integrated right now in a very simple level one way. Who are you not to be great? That simple line is rhetorical, and I think it beautifully conveys the idea that all people have the capability of greatness, regardless of whatever limitations life has dealt you. As stewards, this is the kind of rhetoric we should be confronting children with every day. Not asking them what they want to be when they grow up, or any of these other questions that can't possibly have proper answers for decades at least, but instead instilling in them that they have every tool they need within themselves to be absolutely fucking extraordinary, and yes, greatness is not a zero-sum game. We can all be great, because there's infinite ways of expressing greatness, and there's plenty of universe to go around last time I pulled out the telescope. Now that I write this, adults need this kind of rhetorical questions asked of themselves too. Wake up every day saying to yourself, Who am I not to be great? And as the narrator said, if you deny greatness to yourself, you deny it to the entire world. What a pity if Mozart, Einstein, or Tony Hawk, I'm serious, denied the world of their brilliance that launched the entire species into another level of existence with their music, their words and theories, and their acts of extreme physical ingenuity. So here's the deal. I dare you to defy the ordinary. Because who are you not to be great? And there you have it from issue 8 of the Sovereign Technica newsletter. Really, I mean, such powerful stuff. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I have listened. You know, even just listened. I mean, watching it, and link is in the show notes if you want to watch the video of it as well. Um, even just, just watching it as well. Like, there, there's so much more that's going on that I kind of, like, described that happens at the end. It's amazing. <laughs> it's just that I know I keep saying that, but it's all I can say about it. Uh, and there is so much like everything could just be picked apart. And like I said, entire books could be written about that. And I think that the subjects described, I know you're thinking it's just video games. Yeah, but open your mind a little bit more. Okay, just listen. Well, I'm not saying your mind is closed. I'm just saying stretch it out a little bit more. And I think you'll find that in a lot of what was said in that simple video game commercial, is a lot of what our ancestors were trying to tell us for perhaps thousands of years. And of course, that's a major subject of what we'll be getting into in the ancient and the strange. So uh, I will leave this segment at that, but we've got, like I said, time for the spoiler filled. So turn it off if you haven't seen it yet, or if you have a problem with spoilers, which you shouldn't because you're not a terrorist and you don't need to hold people's tongues hostage just because they're excited about something for fuck's sake. Grow up. Uh, I'll be right back <laughs> with the Black Adam review. Woo! The most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. One hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. 
sci-fi adventure, Battlestar Galactica. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. It is time for the climax, and I have to tell you that um, now <laughs> I did kind of like a pre-review uh, of Black Adam, the 2022 Dwayne Johnson The Rock vehicle. Uh, I did a pre-review on for for the the Wednesday Q and A this past week for Sovereign Tech patrons. Uh, I got a little heated up <laughs> on that. Because, man, do I get so goddamn frustrated with the, the, the MCU, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't get frustrated necessarily with Marvel, though there are certainly things to get frustrated there, uh, you know, as far as like Marvel Comics proper. But the MCU, oh, I just, I, just, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I can do DC movies. <laughs> I can handle that. And I think we're off to a great start here. So this movie... Uh, which of course was delayed a couple times. Um, there's a pretty storied history around its production. And originally actually the rock was being offered to play either captain Marvel, which I think would have been a very daring choice or black Adam and black Adam was originally supposed to be in like the first Shazam movie. Um, now I'm not going to give the very confusing history of the Marvel family, not Marvel comics, the Marvel family, Fawcett Comics, later getting owned by DC, now officially named Shazam, which is fine because since I was a kid, we were always calling Billy Batson and Captain Marvel. We were calling him Shazam anyway. Uh, does get a little confusing with Mary Marvel, but now even her, they call Lady Shazam, which fine. Uh, but one of my favorite characters in comic book history. And admittedly, Black Adam is one of those as well. Anyway, so originally the rock could have been Shazam, uh, or he could have been black Adam and black Adam could have been in the first Shazam film. I think it's fine that he wasn't the first Shazam movie is very well done for what it is. Uh, and this is somewhat of a sequel to it, even though this movie really stands very well on its own. Uh, even if you've never seen another DC comics or a recent DC comics movie, like some of the phenomenal, and I mean, I say that without irony, the phenomenal, uh, Zack Snyder films and they are, they're fucking great. Um, you know, it's not my fault. Other people don't know how to make a, you know, comic book movies that pay fidelity to the actual comic books, you know, which Marvel doesn't do. Um, anyway, <laughs> this is the point I got to on Patreon. And this is an overall point for this film, because when you go to see this, if you are expecting a Marvel movie, you are not going to get a Marvel movie. Okay. You are going to get an, a genuine translation of, or should I say transition? No, not transit translation. Yeah. Uh, you know, a translation with fidelity of a comic book ripped off of the pages and put onto celluloid. Of course, no, all movies are digital today, but you get my point onto film. That's what you get here. This is the most important thing to understand about this movie. This movie is made like comic books are written. Marvel movies are made like movies are written. And that's part of the problem. Not even how good movies are written. Okay. This is 
lifted straight off of a page of a comic book. It feels like a comic book. Uh, you get a lot of characters in this. You get the Justice Society of America. Of course, they don't put in the of America part. Why? Because China, you got to make money in China. You got to put this movie in China and we want that Justice Society to be global, baby. Uh, in fact, there's even a weird comment from Hawkman in this. Uh, would you even know that it was Hawkman if you didn't know anything about the comic books? No, but that's okay because when comic book characters originally get introduced into, into comic books themselves, not movies into comic books, they just say their name. Hey, how you doing? And you know, like glad I could save you from the bad guy or whatever and help you out. And now let's go finish the job. I'm your new partner. And it feels very much like that. And that's fine because that's how comic books have been written for almost a hundred years. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, Hawkman strangely says that the Justice Society's mission is to preserve global stability, not peace, not, you know, not any other, not truth and justice and whatever, you know, in the American way or anything. I mean, of course, that's Superman, but not anything like that. But he says global stability. Boy, if that isn't like a, a touch of predictive programming, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just admit it. It's there. Like, it's a weird comment for him to make. Um, I totally get and understand the marketing reasons of why they, they're not calling it the Justice Society of America. And let's be clear here. In the comic books, they are still called the Justice Society of America. Uh, you know, in the proper comic books. There was a four-issue uh, series that were introductions to all members of the Justice Society within the continuity of the Black Adam film. Uh, that's very different than the actual DC comics continuity of the actual fucking comics. Uh, in that it's still the JSA. So anyway, and I'm a big fan of the justice society. I actually, I admittedly, I like the justice society a lot more than I like the justice league. Um, just because the justice society always had like a bit more crass characters. Uh, and I think the characters overall were actually better. You would get Shazam, you get black Adam, uh, you know, you get Power Girl, one of the best characters, you know, in comic history. Uh, you get, you know, you get like Alan Scott, like, you know, the the old kick-ass Green Lantern and all that. I mean, it was it was always a really cool collection of like, you know, old, young lion meets, you know, new uh, old lion. And I, I really always liked that about the JSA. But anyway. So and, and of course, Hawkman um, and Dr. Fate, who's also one of the top characters and Pierce Brosnan plays Dr. Fate in this and does a phenomenal job, by the way, uh, he's wearing a motion capture suit the whole time and you can really tell, but I'm not that worried about the effects, even though the effects overall are great. I mean, they are second to none in the world today, but just admitting, you can certainly tell that that's not Pierce Brosnan walking around looking that damn good, uh, you know, in a suit, even when he has the helmet off. Um, uh, but they did a great job with Dr. Fate. They really, really did in this film. Anyway, uh, continuing on. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I could talk about this forever because the the Marvel family or the Shazam family, if we want to call that now, uh, you know, and Black Adam and all that. I mean, these are characters that I've been fans of, particularly more Black Adam than Shazam, because I've never been a huge fan of the concept of Billy Batson. I get it. I understand why it's popular and I don't mind that it exists. I've just never like. I, I like Shazam because between him and like Mon L, they can they they're as powerful or at times if not more so than Superman, right? And particularly with Shazam, who whose powers are magic based, you know, Superman 
can't stand up to him because Superman's none of his powers are effective against magic. That's always been a weakness for Superman. Uh, so, you know, I've always had this real respect for characters that are considered more powerful than Superman, right? Because Superman in comic book history is generally considered the most powerful within DC's continuity. Um, of course, there's many times where characters would evolve beyond, you know, Superman's abilities, like say the flash and some other, like Wally West, particularly, um, you know, and others, but anyway, I always dig those kinds of characters, even though I'm a huge fan of Superman, uh, you know, and Batman and Wonder Woman and all, you know, all the biggies anyway. Um, so where was I <laughs> with this movie? Uh, yeah, you get the justice society. You don't, if you don't know them, like you get barely any explanation of who they are again, that's how comic books are written. That's fine. I'm sorry that doesn't appeal to people's movie sensibilities, but I don't care because I want, when I go to see a comic book movie, what I really want to see is a comic book in movie format. I don't want to see a great movie in movie format. Does that make sense? And that's what you're getting here with black Adam. Now, I don't know who was behind that logic you know, and who decided that that's how, you know, we want to do things. Not that this is the first time I actually have to give credit to Marvel for maybe not. I mean, I'm not going to say they were the first ones to pull this off, but they were the first ones to pull it off on a very large scale in theaters. Uh, Marvel, if you remember with Ang Lee's incredible Hulk movie that came out in theaters before Disney owned Marvel, uh, an excellent, excellent film. Um, frankly, better than, Edward Norton's, you know, what, what he came out with. Uh, but if you remember that, that was played up like visually where they even showed you going from comic strip to comic strip from like panel to panel. I really wish black Adam could have gotten away with that. And I would have loved it if they did, because then it would have been the visual cues of this is how you understand the movie. It is an actual fucking comic book put to movies. Okay. Anyway. So, you know, Marvel did this first. If anybody's going to complain about DC saying, oh, well, DC sucks. I can't believe they did this. Well, I, no, Marvel did this way before, years before. And I want to give them credit for that. Oh, ye Marvel faithful. Um, anyway, uh, th this, this, and again, I think this movie ultimately wins for that. Also, even though it doesn't have what would be Zack Snyder's, I would say his dark signature style, uh, credit to where it's due that, uh, and I don't even know how to pronounce the director's name. I feel terrible about that, but, uh, the director, uh, you Yame call it Sarah probably got that wrong. I'm just going to say Sarah, uh, and the writers, uh, of course, Rory Haynes and, uh, uh, Adam Zitkiel, they like, they got it. They, they understood that they are writing a God, you know, when they're writing black Adam. Uh, and it, the movie really put that on display. Like there's an opening sequence. Now, clearly the rock had some, had plenty of influence on this movie. Um, because his signature style of having like weird seventies or even eighties, uh, uh, like popular tracks playing kind of out of nowhere and sort of out of place. And they do sort of feel out of place in this, um, or even 60s songs. Uh, you know, like that happens in this, it's fine. It works overall. I'm not going to complain. And especially when it's the Rolling Stones. Okay. I'm there. Uh, but like when, when black Adam first appears and he's getting attacked by the villains, the real villains, that being intergang, uh, he, 
like he's it's playing uh, uh, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones, and he's moving. Of course, Black Adam can move faster than any human, and he's it looks like he's moving in slow motion compared to what all the humans are doing. Really, they're the ones moving in slow motion. He's moving in normal time, or normal time for Black Adam, and you're getting the sense right there that this is somebody who just doesn't think on the human level. You are dealing with a God. And this is so well done and very Zack Snyder-ish without it going so far as being Zack Snyder. But I feel like respect was paid to the guy who got us to this point where, you know, like DC Comics could be treated with some seriousness. And I do give Zack Snyder that credit. Um, also, again, spoilers ahoy here, folks. Like, I, I'm not going to hold back. Uh, amazingly, in the end credit sequence, which you better sit around for, and there's only one, we get Henry Cavill back as Superman, baby. Man of Steel. Woo! I mean that. <laughs> Fucking awesome. And he looked great. And, you know, you look like you're going to get that that face-off between Black Adam and, and Superman. And I can't wait for that movie. And I mean that. Uh, anyway, so there's a lot. Uh, you know, there's so much well done with the cinematography in this movie that really parlays. You are dealing with creatures, uh, or at least with black Adam with something that is just existing on another level. Uh, and I really, really love that in this movie. That's always been DC comic strength, uh, since the late eighties anyway, where they really, they, they, they always take a moment to treat these superheroes and villains, you know, like the Greek gods, the, the, you know, the parallelism of Greek gods that they are. Uh, Marvel has never really been able to pull that off other than maybe with like Earth X. Marvel's never really been able to pull that off, but it's because Marvel comics in general are more immature. Uh, but the maturity of DC comics, you know, really comes through, even though, again, I could have done without painted black playing during that moment. You know, some more epic music would have been fine. Some Hans Zimmer in there, but that's okay. You know, whatever it, it worked. Um, the acting. So, so just to break this one down, you know, by, by the, uh, by the components, uh, the acting, I think on all fronts was fantastic. I think everybody did either, you know, if depending upon the bit part that they had, I thought everybody's acting was on point. Uh, the script I thought was very well done Two problem. I mean, the one, one surprising part was just how fucking funny this was without using the Marvel humor formula. I really, I mean, Ellen and I saw this, she was laughing her ass off through much of the film. It's that funny. And no, I don't think anybody expected it to be that funny. Uh, and the rocks kind of deadpan delivery on some things really worked. I mean, he was definitely channeling some inner Christopher judge, you know, like Teal, uh, you know, from SG one. Uh, I mean, he was really, really working that line or, uh, you know, working that angle really well, I should say. Um, the problem though, and this is true for, unfortunately for many, uh, comic book movie, Marvel or otherwise, the villain is just an obstacle in the way you don't really get the motivation. You don't really get the understanding of the villain. You, you don't get any of that. Uh, my only hope is that I hate to use that word, but my only hope is that they set up black Adam to properly take on say Superman or other characters of that ilk. Um, and in taking them on, we have a character or an opposition, whether it's, you want to consider them the villain or not. That's a matter of perspective, I suppose. But the opposition is 
a character that you understand and you know their motivations. And so that makes the battle that much more epic or that makes the conflict between the two characters that much more epic. So I'm hoping for that. It kind of sucked that they basically had a stepping stone villain in this one, even though it's effectively Satan. I mean, it really would have been impressive if they could have gone further with it. Uh, and there's things that they kind of like this description of Eternium, this, this, you know, mineral, uh, or this element Eternium, they, they kind of leave that off to the side. They don't really explore that too much. Uh, I am hoping for an extended edition. This movie did weigh in at only about two hours, five minutes, which is impressive because for whatever reason, most, uh, comic book movies have been in the near three hour range as late. Uh, I don't. I'm not disappointed that it was shorter, but I would love if there's an extended cut that ends up getting released on DVD or, you know, on Blu-ray, uh, or disc we'll say because 4k, right? Fuck that shit, but whatever. Um, I, I, I really welcome that. And that happens often, especially with DC movies, thankfully. Um, so there's, there's things that don't get enough explanation, but again, when you're dealing with taking a comic book from page to screen, Okay. And you're doing so directly without making it, you know, without bothering to care about, you know, like movie sensibilities. Uh, it, it still works. Like it fits like a comic book narrative would, um, just like black Adam's origin, even though it will get explored further later on in the movie, not a lot of time is spent with that. Great. Because the origin of most characters were, it was usually an afterthought. If a character became a big deal, then maybe 15 years later, they would get an origin miniseries, you know, and, and fuck some of the greatest comic book characters of all time. We never even had an origin story for them. Think for example, Wolverine. We didn't get, when did we get the origin comic? 99, 2000, 2001. And then when people found out they got pissed off, you don't need, don't, don't need the origin stories. This, this, this works as it is. Um, the action was really solid. Uh, the music, Lauren Balf did the music, uh, I've got to listen to the soundtrack some more. Um, I don't know. I, I was just enjoying the movie. Admittedly, the music, none of it, like I didn't feel like any of it really hit any serious heights, but I do want to listen to the soundtrack independently and see just sort of if I miss something, but Lauren Belf does great work. Of course, he's done scores for the mission impossible movies and others. Uh, he can do bombast. Uh, I really don't have any complaints with it. I just don't like necessarily have anything big to say on the matter, uh, which is fine. So, uh, again, the directing was good script overall, like I said, was good, except for the lack of like real motivation for the villain. Hopefully we'll get some of that, maybe more an extended version or something along those lines. Uh, the action in the movie, the action was great. Here's the problem though. You've got such, you, they made such a big deal about the rock, you know, like how he doesn't, he's not wearing a muscle suit, like perhaps George Clooney would, you know, in Batman and Robin or something like that. He's, you know, there's no muscle suit here. It's his body you know, and you know, he's just that larger than life. And he is, um, it's a shame. They didn't let him like actually get down and dirty, you know, and like really get in some classic punches and whatever else. And you can say, well, a God, would a God really do that? Okay. Maybe not. There's an argument for that, but this is the one case where, okay. Yeah. But you've got the rock, like he doesn't have to do the people's elbow or anything, but you know, he could do a suplex maybe, you know, or, or something, some kicks, I don't know. Uh, and that didn't happen, but that's just what I wanted it. I, I totally get the creative decision, but that's just what I wanted. Um, I also felt like he kind of, he was flying a little too much, but again, 
this is more of that make him appear to be a God and they're really delivering there. Um, so th- those are like merely what I wanted out of it because again, our lead actor is the rock. Uh, if it was somebody else, I probably wouldn't have even wanted these things. And I would have said, Oh, it's all great. So I want to keep that in perspective. Um, beyond that, lots of man, there, there are a lot of like nods and Easter eggs within it. Um, also like the, the main, uh, the main female character in the movie, that being, uh, uh, Adriana uh, Tomas is they called her in this. Uh, now that's clearly, uh, Andrea Thomas, who Andrea Thomas is the character in comic books. And if you remember from the seventies, uh, Shazam hour was the character of Isis, who is another like Egyptian God type character, similar to black Adam, uh, also as powerful as Superman, if not more so. Um, so they were setting her up, you know, to become, uh, Isis. And in fact, those four, uh, like prequel comics that I mentioned, um, I think they're setting her up even more for that in those. Uh, so, you know, like that works that we could get Isis in the future. Of course, if you've read black Adam comics or justice society comics over the past 20 years, you know, that Isis becomes black Adam's wife. Uh, now the only part that's kind of different is her son was, uh, the one was the character of Amon in comics. Amon is, uh, is Adri- uh, well, Isis, Andrea's Thomas's, uh, brother. And he becomes Osiris who also has the powers of black Adam. Uh, we'll see if, you know, if Amon gets set up to become Osiris, but anyway, it seems like they were teeing up, uh, Adriana as, you know, becoming Isis. Uh, I mean, it's it, like, it's subtle hints, but it's there. The other thing is like, you kind of knew, even if you didn't know ahead of time, you kind of knew Superman was going to show up. There were constant ribbings at Superman where like black Adam gets woken up and he's in, uh, Amon's room and Amon has like superhero posters all over the place. And when he wakes up, he like zaps the face off of Superman. There's another point where black Adam is, uh, fighting a character in that apartment in Amon's bedroom. And like Amon has the Superman, you know, the house of L crest on his door. And you see black Adam's fist punch through the crest, which is totally, you know, like a, a, an Easter egg an appeal to the imagery of doomsday, you know, from death of Superman, when doomsday's fist is going through the bloody crest of Superman. So lots of nice little nods, like that, that I really, really dug, um, that they put in there that they didn't have to, you know, but I mean, you could have said it was a little over the top because I think other people could pick it up, but like not everybody would know that that was representative of the same shot of when, you know, doomsday's fist was coming through. Uh, so, you know, it worked like there was everything, pretty much everything that I wanted out of this was in this, uh, even the character of Amanda Waller, of course, from the suicide squad films was involved. That was a nice callback. This is meant to be a phase one film. I mean, unfortunately, in this sense, they're copying Marvel uh, where they're going to do phases of movies, you know, that lead to a big film. It's a pretty good bet. We're going to end up with some kind of Justice Society film, which I think is fine just to get past the Justice League thing. And you still have plenty of credibility with the Justice Society. So why not go that, you know, go that distance and go in that direction? Um, but this is the start of a, basically a new continuity for 
DC movies. And I think it's a great start. It's a phenomenal start. It's, it may not be as good a movie as Iron Man was, but it's, it's a fine, you know, with plenty of fidelity, uh, translation of black Adam to the screen of the DC universe to the screen while still paying some attention to what came before, particularly again with the character of Amanda Waller, as well as the appearance of Henry Cavill as Superman. Um, so I, I dig it. I, I love what they're doing here. Uh, I think that they've got a winner on their hands. Uh, I have not looked at the, uh, uh, what the box office numbers for the weekend were. I'm going to pull that up right now. And it looks like worldwide it's done 143 million. So not bad for a three day opener. Uh, again, you know, theaters are still kind of skittish, I suppose. And everybody's talking about this resurgence of this thing that begins with the letter C and whatever else. So, you know, who knows, uh, what they're going to look at for this. Um, but I don't think that that's a bad opening. Uh, I mean, the budget, I'm sure that's not even making budget and they need to do at least triple the budget. Uh, but maybe it's, maybe it's something that'll be on a slow burn and give it a little bit of time and you know, it, it'll hit those numbers, but I don't think this is regardless of the performance of this. I don't think it's going to slow down the plans that DC has because they do have plans, even though Warner brothers slash HBO slash discovery slash whatever is in a fucking mess right now. Um, I mean, you've got a vehicle with arguably the biggest actor in the world, that being the rock, uh, you know, you're not going to just let that go, you know, even if you get a little bit of a poor performer, you know, uh, opening up, but we'll see what end, what ends up doing throughout the week. And I think a lot of this is going to depend upon word of mouth. I mean, there's a massive marketing machine behind this. I mean, even, uh, like under armor has done an entire black Adam training line and the shit's great. Uh, so th there's a lot of push here and it's kind of non-traditional and I like that. And we'll, we'll, anyway, we'll see what happens. But as far as a rating, I mean, I'm going to give this thing, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Uh, I mean, it's certainly not a, it's not a comic book, uh, movie on the level of like, you know, the 78 Superman or, you know, the original, like, you know, like the, uh, you know, the 89 Batman or even Iron Man or something like that. Like, I'm not going to say it's on that level, but it's close. And what it does, it does really, really well. And man, The Rock was just, I mean, this is just a tailor-made role for him. Uh, yeah, okay, they didn't give him the pointy ears, but whatever. It it works. Uh, and I, I, I really, really, really dig what they're pulling off here. Um, so anyway, go check it out. I think it's a very worthwhile watch, but you've got to keep it in perspective that this is not this is not like what is now considered a traditional comic book movie this is a comic book movie that literally lifted the panels and put them on the screen and I don't think that's a bad thing but it's also not what people are used to so anyway I will end this episode of Sovereign Tech with that and until next week I will see all of you woo, on the other side